Welcome to episode 9 of the Countryline Songwriter Series, where you'll hear from some of the most successful artists and songwriters working in Nashville today. Country music is all about storytelling, and this is where you'll discover the stories from the people themselves of how they managed to find their way into such a competitive industry and rise to the top, what motivates and inspires them, and what they've learned along the way. Born and raised in Tifton, Georgia, Kipmer was the son of a golfer and a painter. He spent most of his school years playing sports. In fact, he attended university on a golf scholarship, but was soon lured away by music. He got his first gig playing at a local restaurant, and after graduating, he decided to live in Hawaii for a spell before heading to Nashville in 2004. He earned a paycheck working as a manager at an Abercrombie and Fitch. While chipping away at music, he started to earn a reputation in songwriting circles and placed songs with Jake Owen and Thompson Square. In 2008, creative artist agency's Mark Dennis brought Murr to the attention of Joe Fisher at Universal Group Nashville, who then paired him with songwriter Brett James. James would then go on to produce Murr's 2012 debut album, Up All Night. First came the single, Mary Was the Marian Kind, which went on to reach 45 on Billboard's country chart. But the song that launched Moore's career was the follow-up, Something About a Truck, a single released in September of 2011. Over the next few months, it climbed all the way to number one and went double platinum. In the wake of its success, Moore released Up All Night in April of 2012, and its next two singles were top 10 hits as well, Beer Money and Hey Pretty Girl. The first sign of Murr's second album arrived in October of 2013 when he released Young Love. This peaked at 26, which actually wound up better than his next single, Dirt Road, which flopped on the charts. As a result of this, he and his label decided to completely scrap his planned second album and write and record a brand new record. This album, Wild Ones, came in August of 2015 and was followed by his third album, Slow Heart, in September of 2017. That album included the hit singles More Girls Like You and Last Shot. Late in 2019, he released She's Mine, the first single from his fourth album, Wild World, a relatively inward-looking record Wild World peaked at number five on the country album's chart. In March of 2022, Kip returned to the UK and to Ireland to perform at the C2C Festival and spoke with myself, Stuart Bamford. The Countryline Songwriters Series with Kip Moore. So Kip, tonight you're closing out your C2C Festival run here in Dublin at the Three Arena, a venue that in 2015 I saw you perform, I discovered your music for the very first time and off the back of that performance, you know, something very special happened here. A blossoming relationship was born between you and the Irish country music fans which... You know, thanks to you coming back consistently and still touring, has just grown and grown and grown. So tell me about, like, um, firstly, your experience of playing the festival the last couple of nights in London and Glasgow. But also, like, I can tell you the fans are just so ready for you tonight. How are you feeling? I feel good. I mean, I, I, you know, we do this so much that as far as um, the preparation, it's always there. We're always ready to go in that sense. But most everywhere over here hasn't had music now for a year and a half, two years. So we understand that the frenzy is a little amped. So mm-hmm. it definitely makes us kind of put it into another gear. But at the same time, we never really go through the motions. And I think the crowd knows that about us. And I think they've appreciated that through the years. Um, but there's definitely a special relationship. And I think they understand the time and effort it takes mm-hmm. 
for us to come over here as much as we have because it's, it's definitely not an easy process. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the finances of getting over here and trying to make a tour work, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a difficult thing. So I think they understand that. And there's always been an appreciation when I've gone to bars after and, and they've expressed that, how thankful they are that we keep coming back because they know it's not easy. Mm-hmm. Your current single release, it's an interesting one. You've re-recorded Crazy One More Time. This is a song that first appeared on your debut album, Up All Night, in 2012. And, um, you know, it's become such a fan favourite. Why did you decide to re-record it? I mean, I know you wrote it with Chris Lindsay and Amy Mayo. Well, like so many songs, um, you record them the minute you get done writing them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times a song, it takes time to grow on you. And as far as production-wise the ins and outs of, of how to make the song grow dynamically um, change in your head. And I've lived with Crazy More Time for 10 years. And it's always been one of my favorites, and I know that it's always been one of the crowd favorites. So during the initial lockdown, um, I had a really good music friend in general, but he's a fantastic musician, producer, come to the house and set up a studio at the house. And we just got to talking one night really late about what a shame it was that that song was never released as its own single. and. We just started tinkering with the nuts and bolts of the song, and I started talking about what I've been hearing through all the years and the way I would have done it had I was able to do it now. So he was like, why don't we just do it? You know, so we we started from scratch. And, you know, once I let the record label and management, those guys hear the song, because I just kind of turned into batch, they all were kind of going nuts over crazy more times. So they're like, let's let's throw it out and see what happens. Okay. Is there an element, though, that you, the unpredictableness of it? Do you like that? For sure. I mean, when you listen to the, the, the first two tracks, um, when you compare the two, dynamically, the new one grows so much more. Yeah. Um, the first one kind of stays in one place, you know, linear through the whole track. And it's great. Like, that, that track has a life of its own, but I never felt like the, the track truly came out of the cage and unleashed like all the, the dynamic that it was capable of. Yeah, so yeah. that's what we tried to capture in this one. Hey, I can't see you as nothing but mine And girl, tonight, let's go You've spoken about the early days of, uh, you know, moving to Nashville and working odd jobs and at times not having enough money to put your heating on and you would stay up to like two, three in the morning studying uh, the singer-songwriters who you consider as the greats. You've also spoken about the mental toll the industry has taken on you and your own battles with being a perfectionist. Um, With the forced time off because of the unpredictableness of the pandemic, and I know you spent a lot of time in Hawaii and Costa Rica, did that time off in any way enable you to maybe, you know, get things in order, gain some perspective, and take a step back? Well, you know, I've been doing the the Maui, Costa Rica thing, surfing for the last four or five years in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. That's what I go do. Um, you know, I don't think it changed my perspective at all. When I talk about the mental toll, it's... It is a very unnatural existence. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm one of the lucky people that get to do what I love to do, and I understand that part. But I've done all the odd jobs you can think of from, you know, laying side the construction work to, you know, bartending to golf course maintenance. Um, and those jobs you could clock out. And when you clocked out, you mentally clocked out too and you were gone. Mm-hmm. Um, I never stop. I never stop recording, writing. And then you're always touring and playing 120 shows in a year. 
traveling that much is a very unnatural existence. And what I've learned is it takes a massive emotional and mental toll on me through a year. So that's why I go do those breaks. But, you know, there might come a time when I'm just not able to hold up anymore, you know. And uh, when I ever feel like this becomes something where I'm walking through the motions and, I'm, and my, my heart is not in it like mm -hmm. it always has been, that's when I walk away from it. But right now I'm, I'm just as fired up as I've ever been. And that little time off definitely helped me reset. Uh, but, you know, it only helps you reset so much because the minute you're back in this grind, mm -hmm. it chews you up really fast, yeah. you know. Even just the thing of five days here, I've yet to sleep. You know, it's just really difficult to kind of do that. Then you're getting up and you're staying up late doing the job. And um, it just it just takes a toll on you. That's kind of an unnatural existence. What do you like after a show? Are you hyped? Like, do you need to party or can you like settle down? It's very tough to wind down. Very tough. Um, you know, last night we went to a pub and had a great time in, in Scotland. And some nights we, we just go straight to the bus and we'll just turn on a little music. We'll have a few drinks and... The thing is, too, that when it's your name, you're also in charge of the whole circus. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people think that record labels handle all that, and they think that the record label, you know, pays for everything, and that's not the way it goes. You're in charge of your entire circus, so there's so many moving parts. And I'm very hands-on with all that, so a lot of times it's hard to shut my mind off because I'm thinking of all the elements that are moving, you know. So even after a show, when you're really elated, you're thinking about, well, you've got 10 text messages about all the ins and outs of how we're going to travel and do this and, you know, yada, yada. And, mm -hmm. you know, so all those things happen. I know that throughout the pandemic, you still pushed yourself to write every day. And uh, I believe the majority of this next project was written in my, like, you know, any good artist, uh, people who enjoy longevity or make some sort of an imprint on the musical landscape. I love the fact that, you know, from one album to the next, there is a change, a definite change. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about, with the next project, where that's going. Well, I'm not going to tell you right now <laughs> where the change is going, but there's definitely a you know, change. But there's always a common thread, like I am who I am as an artist, but I'm always trying to push the boundary of sonic tone, mm. arrangements, melodic differences, lyrical differences. I, mean, I hate getting a record from an artist, and it's the same damn thing they've sung about for three records. It's the same guitar tones. Everything's the same. really drives me nuts. Um, it feels... You know, it feels like you found a formula and you got real lazy and it's just like that's what you do. Particularly and, and in country? No, I don't say particularly in country. I think that's okay. all genres. Um, I think that and there's a lot of artists that are always pushing themselves. Mm -hmm. I just get bored with the ones that keep making the same records. But but I think that there's plenty of people, don't misquote me on that, I think there's a lot of people that that push and make different records from each record to the next. You know, I think Miranda's done a great job of that throughout her career. Um, I think Church has always pushed himself and made different records sound, you know, from one to the next. And um, so, yeah, uh, and a lot of times for me, it's definitely a cognitive thing that I'm thinking about, but it's also just maturation. Like, it's just the natural maturation process that I'm not fighting. I'm not going to keep singing about things that I sang about in 2012 just to stay relevant with a younger audience. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna let the music grow as I grow. Mm -hmm. And so that part, I'm not even having to fight. You know, my mindset has changed so much from 2013 to what it is now, so that's what I'm gonna write about. Mm -hmm. And every year it's changing. The more you discover about yourself, the more you learn about yourself, the more you're gonna change. So for me, a lot of it is a very natural thing, and then a lot of it is just a cognitive choice of stretching and pushing myself because I would get bored mm -hmm. uh, with making the same record. Like, I love the Up All Night record. And that was such a major commercial success, but 
I was ready to make a different record. I didn't want to make that record again. And this record, I don't think I'm going to make a record for quite some time after this one. I put so much into this one that that I'm going to step away from making another record for quite a while after this. Mm -hmm. This is this is something that I want to just kind of hang my hat on for a while and tour around this one for a long time. Particularly for young artists, there's a lot of emphasis and pressure um, for radio play, streaming, social media numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of aspiring singer-songwriters very much look up to you. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give them? Man, my path was my path. Um, and I'm also aware that, you know, I know that people's mental fortitude is also different. So it's hard for me to tell you to do something like I did if we're not the same in that capacity. You know, I took gigs early in my career that didn't pay me a dime, and I would hop in my Jeep or, or the van with the guys, and, and I would find a way to sell one T-shirt, one CD, to make just enough money where I could pay those guys, and I wasn't even taking anything home. And um, But it was just that chance to get out. And you feel like that whole thing has changed a lot now, and uh, the game is changing a lot. So... But at the same time, I'm always just like, who am I to give advice to anybody? You know, it was my path. Um, and and for me, it was just, um, it was a re- relentless pursuit of, of what I was going after. Um, and I was my own man the whole time. I think that it's easy to fall into a trap of, I've always been very appreciative of people that give me advice on, well, you need to do this, you need to do that. Like, I listen, I take everything to heart. But at the end of the day, I make my all, all my own choices. I don't let people steer me. Um, and I think that's easy to get caught up in an artist is even even when, you know, say your management chooses your band for you or they have rehearsals and you're not even there. Like, I'm hands-on with everything that I do. Nobody's choosing my band members for me. You know, I, I can remember turning down a big tour and people thought I was crazy early in my career when I was going to be the first of three. I had already done that. I'd already been on a big tour being first of three. I knew what that was like. I knew that people were still barely filed into the arena. You were kind of an afterthought. And I thought that it was more important to go out and do a headlining club tour for a thousand people, mm-hmm. make way less money, but build a fan base. And I was told that I was crazy. Well, now that's paying dividends for me because I've experienced the highs and lows of commercial success. So the minute that commercial rug is jerked out from underneath you, you better have something to stand on mm-hmm. or it's all over overnight. So I, I always knew the importance of radio helping me get those people in the door. And then it was up to me and the band to hold them there. And it was up to me to make great records to hold them there. And it was up to us to hustle and get out there and create something special for fans to latch on to. So I, I knew all those things early on. And I stuck to my guns on them, and you know we we had a lot of commercial success early on, and then it, it really evaporated. But we probably doubled our fan base during that time, and then I had a little bit of commercial success come back, and then it went away again. And I've kind of been one of those artists that's kind of weathered the ebbs and flows of those kind of things. I think from from being steadfast in the pursuit of what we're all after. You did um, a number of sort of live streams during the pandemic. One in particular that stands out, um, a show from the Ryman in Nashville, I think it was last February, and uh, you brought out Ashley McBride. I got up in the middle of the night to watch this thing. I remember you ran over the time and you had to pay a fine. But I remember like even just watching you on television in Northern Ireland going, this guy is soaking up every minute on that stage. Yeah? 
Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think I'm pretty present, you know, when I'm when I'm doing what I do. Um, I'm really connected to my own music too. Like I don't I don't have a staff of people writing my songs, so yeah. I'm connected to that. But it's also one of those things where, you know, you know, it's it was a year and a half of no music and you know still taking care of all your people and mm-hmm. that took a heavy toll on me um and it was just that a you know elated feeling of being back out there and hopefully there's a little bit of light in the, the tunnel mm-hmm. just finally in september of 2019 you played the ulster hall in belfast mm-hmm. i spoke to you before you you performed we were chatting on your tour bus and i i said to you like you don't know what you're walking into here i could sort of read from your body language that more than likely in every city there's a dork like me who says that to you right (laughs) (laughs) but um we in the crowd that night i mean and i've been to so many shows in that venue very famous venue i'd never experienced anything like that but we didn't know if that was one way or not and then a couple of months later we heard you on marty smith's podcast Mm -hmm. and uh you said yourself you'd never experienced anything like it when i say i've never experienced anything like it um I've experienced wild crowds, really wild crowds. I've experienced crowds that were as wild as that or wilder. Mm -hmm. But there was a unique electricity in the room to where I knew that, you know, when I talk about it being my favorite show, it's not always about the wildest show. It's about people being present. And everyone was so present in that moment and you could feel it. You could feel that it was a special night and uh yeah it's one of my all-time favorite shows and we're you know we're already making the plans right now to come back to belfast in 2023 wow you heard it here first yeah. kip murr thank you so much for thank your you. time i mean you didn't have to do this and uh yeah really appreciate it cheers forward to the show yeah yeah <laughs> thank you bro cheers, man. the country line songwriters series with kip moore more episodes from this series are available on the Countryline app and website, or just search for the Countryline Songwriters series wherever you normally get your podcasts.